Welcome. This is the weekly Sunday sermon from Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. You can find us at ranchobaptistchurch.org. This week's message by Pastor Jason Swanson, You Must Believe, Part 2. The original date of this message was the 27th of November, 2022. Well, I trust that you all had a, had a great week, enjoying friends and family, reminiscing over things that you are thankful for, and hopefully that included the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel after looking at John 3.16 last week. This morning we're going to get back to You Must Believe, part two, uh, really a sermon that I started several weeks ago and decided to, to pull apart instead of going with John chapter 3, 1 to 21, which was just way too much for me to, to do in one stent. I broke this up into two and then decided that I would do John three sixteen as an entirely different sermon. But as I've spent time over the last couple of weeks considering this, Considering Nicodemus' response to Jesus, telling him that he must be born again, and giving him the basis of belief, which is whatever God says, taking that as true, what he says about himself, what he says about man, what he says about sin, what he says about salvation. And then thinking about how Jesus then pointed him back to Moses and the bronze serpent and holding that up and how that was a a picture of placing your faith and confidence in Christ because the only way they could be saved from those fiery serpents and from sure death was to look at that bronze serpent by faith believing that God was going to heal them and allow them not to be killed. And that is exactly what happened and that is a picture of, of Jesus for us today. And as I considered all of this, And where we're going to be going this morning. And and how we see two different responses to the gospel. One that responds to the light, the Lord Jesus Christ. In thankfulness and adoration and praise. And sees the beauty of Jesus. And another response who doesn't see Jesus as beautiful at all. Who rather than wanting to be exposed by the light, they recede back into darkness. And I was reminded of of two men in our village in Papua New Guinea who were good examples of of each of these. Their names are similar, Moei and and Madakai. I won't give you a test and try to have you say those back to me. Moei was a Siawi man. He was from our particular village. He was there when we got there. Mordecai, on the other hand, married into our village. And so he wasn't there when we first got there. Moei, we called him Eddie Haskell. And the reason why we called him Eddie Haskell is because he would use whatever he could in order to manipulate and get as much from us as we can, as he could. So we'd go to one of our neighbors one of our coworkers, a house just on the other side of the airstrip or literally 30 yards away from our house, and, and he'd knock on their door. Really, they didn't knock. They'd go, <coughs> that's how they said hello. That's how they, instead of knocking, they coughed. So they'd come up to 
Or he'd come up to their house and he'd cough and he'd wait for them to respond. And then he'd say, man, I'm really, really hungry. Can you give me something to eat? And then something would be given to him, maybe some Maggie noodles or something like Maggie noodles or an egg. And then you know what he'd do? He'd, he'd hide that item and then he'd come to the next coworker's house and he'd do rounds like this, trying to tell each of us, hey, I have nothing to eat. And then maybe he'd get an egg from another one of us and then he'd get something else from another one of us and it took us a while to figure out this little racket that he had going. And I'd love to say that he would use that extra food to, to feed his family, but no, he was a selfish man. And he'd use it only to feed himself. As we began teaching God's word from Genesis to the crucifixion, ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, he, he started coming to the evangelistic Bible lessons that we were doing five days a week for ten months. At the beginning, he was faithful, and then he, then he stopped coming after about two or three months. And I sat down with Moai, and I, I said, hey, how come you're not coming anymore? Do you not want to hear this truth? This will change everything for you. And he said, well, I want to hear, but my shorts have holes in them. And when, I, and when I went the other day, the ladies made fun of me, and they laughed at me, and so I was shamed, and so I'm not going again. And I said, is the only thing keeping you from coming is a pair of shorts? And he said, yes. And I said, done. Here's a pair of shorts. Well, he wanted more than one because that's just the way Moai is. And then he started coming and then something peculiar happened. He got married. What's peculiar about it is that he lied to a neighboring village that, that was located on the Sepik River. And he told them that he would pay this great big bride price of all of these pigs and all this other stuff. Well, Moai didn't have any of that. But he took this woman anyways, this young gal. And then she shows up in our village as we were teaching. And the two of them came together for a little bit to listen to the Bible teaching. But, but she said it was boring. That the way they do church is they laugh and they dance and people fall over and, and die and come back again, meaning they pass out and, and all this. And that when they meet, they meet for five, six, seven hours and, and people close their eyes and all sorts of other things. And, and all you do is teach God's word. That was her complaint to me. Well, her family came and raised quite a ruckus in the village because they wanted this dowry, this bride price. And Moai couldn't pay it, but he lied and he said, oh, no, I'll, I'll get it to you. So they went back home and then he went back to her village with nothing in his hands to pay for her. And you know, we never saw Moai again. What everybody said was that they, they killed him. And, and he went to face a Christless eternity. Not because he hadn't heard but because he loved the darkness. And that's what he wanted. And that's what he desired more than anything else. Totally different than Mordecai. Mordecai comes to our village. And just through a series of events, he's just a, 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 a sponge for languages. And he knows five or six different languages, tribal dialects, or not dialects, Tribal tongues, different language groups that I don't know any of these other language groups. He knows five or six of them. 
And he learned Siawi because he was raised, his mom was part Siawi, so he spent some time in, in our village when he was a young boy. Then he moved to a village in, in, of Sodomy, so he speaks the Sodomy language. Then he moved to Anu, where, where his dad was from, or where he went to school, and he learned Anu there. And, and you know what happens? He hears about Jesus. He hears about the light that came. And he believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Malachi's life has changed. And now what he wants to do is he wants to tell everybody about Jesus. And he comes to me and, and he says, hey, can I go to my old village? And I, and I said, sure. I want to tell them about Jesus. <laughs> That's great. It was a 14-hour hike that he did. It was so far removed that nobody knew where this little hamlet was. There was four to six families in this hamlet, maybe 50 people. And, and Mordecai moved out there with his wife to share the gospel with his family that was cut off from any kind of gospel witness. And he stayed there for weeks and months on end. And then as he finished sharing about the Lord Jesus Christ, many of his family got saved. And he wanted to stay there and he wanted to disciple them. He wanted to walk them through the book of Acts and teach them about Christ's church. And during one of these times, as he'd leave that location and come to our village in Siawi, he, he recounted to me of all the things that, that he was struggling with that he didn't have a mosquito net, that he didn't have shoes to walk with, and that he didn't have this and didn't have that. And well, we went home on home assignment and we, we let our supporters know about this man, Malachi, and what he was doing in this particular village, being a missionary to them. And a, and a family said, hey, we'd like to give Malachi $150. Would that be okay? I said, oh man, that'd be great. And so I sat down with Malachi when, when we came back. And I said, hey, there's some believers. So others who believe truly, truly in the Lord Jesus Christ, they want to be a blessing to you. They want to support the work that you're doing, reaching the sodomy with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, they, and they've given us some money that we want to give to you to buy whatever you want with to help you in this endeavor. And I would have thought his response was, man, I'd like some new shoes. Or maybe a boom box, because that was something everybody was buying at this time in our village. To listen to music and to do disco. Or maybe food for himself. But do you know what he said? He said, oh man, my wife needs a mosquito net. He said, my wife doesn't have a frying pan. She doesn't have a cooking pot for water. Do you think that there's enough for that? And I said, oh yes, there's enough for that. What else? Oh, I'd, I'd like a light to hang up so that those that want to hear God's word at night, they could hear, and so that I could study God's word at night. And can you buy me some pencils and maybe a couple of notebooks? That was it. What else do you need? Come on, you've got to need something else. Do you want a new mat to lie down on? No, I don't need that. God provides for me. That was his response. Why? Because he now believed. And he was different than he was before. And everything for him was about the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me to, to John chapter 3. Are you thankful this morning 
for all that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ, whatever that is, as little or as great as that is, on the spiritual side and then on the physical side. We have so much to be thankful for. And yet we must recognize that you must believe, that I must believe, that all of eternity hangs in the balance based upon just one person, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ and what you do with him. We looked at this last week, and this really launches off into the remaining verses up to 21. That God's, by God's wonderful love, he gave us Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world. And men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Let's pray for the preaching of God's word. Heavenly Father, we stop and we we confess to you that we are nothing special. That we are so needy. That we take your grace for granted time and time again that we truly don't see you, Lord Jesus, as beautiful as you truly are. I, I pray tonight that you would write your word, this, this morning, you'd write your word upon our hearts. That you would encourage us through your word. That we might respond to the light. That we would see you, Lord Jesus, as the true light who came to shine into our lives and to remove the darkness from us, the sin that so easily besets us, plagues us, cripples us. So Lord, would you be honored and would you speak to us through your word this morning as only you can through the power of your Holy Spirit teaching us. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So we've seen the basis of belief. We've seen the picture of belief. And now what we see right from the start in John 3, 16 and 17 is this, the promise of belief. The promise of belief, which is eternal life. And this is what guys like Mordecai and others in the village in Papua New Guinea where we ministered for so long, this is what they hold on to so much more tightly than we do. Why? Because their lives are so difficult. And when I say he had to walk 14 hours, I mean he had to hike through a swamp that had huge, huge thorny vines 
that oftentimes were hidden under this swampy land that you'd just get great big splinters in your feet and sores. And so it wasn't some easy 14-hour hike. It probably would have taken you and I two or three days to get there. But he did it. Why? Because he recognized that what he, had been, what he had gained in eternal life was not something that he wanted to hold to himself, but it was something he wanted to pass on to others. And so that's why he went to tell them about Jesus and to let them know about God's love and how it was God's love that what? That then caused God to give up his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That at the moment of belief, that is when eternal life comes to that particular person. And it does not mean just a life that goes on and on and on, never ending, but it is actually along with that a new quality of life, a better life. And man, we saw this in our village. Over and over and over again. That even though their circumstances perhaps didn't change much, they they still lived in houses and huts that would only last about two or three years and then you'd have to tear it down and build a new one. It, It wasn't like clothes were just magically appearing. No, all their clothes would get holes in them. It wasn't like sickness just disappeared when they believed in Jesus. No, they still got malaria all the time. But what changed was this, eternal life. They were now living for something else, for someone else. And that changed their whole perspective. All because of God sending Jesus and them believing in him. Notice what verse 17 says. This is such a sweet verse, and we don't go on to verse 17 too often. On the basis of God's love for us, he gives Jesus up for us. Then he sends the Son into the world. But he sends the Son into the world. He sends Jesus Christ into the world for a very particular reason. And it is not to condemn the world. It is the complete opposite. It is to save the world. And that is what his whole point is. That we might gain eternal life. Why? Why didn't Jesus have to come and condemn the world? Because the world's already condemned. Because the world is full of what? Sinners like you and me. Turn with me to Romans and let's... Let's just spend a little bit of time thinking and again reminding ourselves of why we need a Savior. Why the world needs a Savior. Why your neighbors need a Savior. Why you, if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ, why you need a Savior. And why all those that have gone before us except for one, the Lord Jesus Christ, why all of them needed a Savior. Because of the description of who we are. Because of what has been passed on to all of humanity from Adam. Our federal head is, as it is described theologically, meaning that we all get sin nature from Adam and we're all born into sin. 
We're sinners not because we sin, but because we are sinful. I want you to notice how many times you see none. Not even one or all in these verses. And recognize how depressing this would be if we didn't have John 3.16 and John 3.17. If we didn't know the end of the story. That we're not left dead in our sins. It's actually the complete opposite. That God knows this fully. He's known this from the beginning of time. That this is what man's bent is going to be. That Adam and Eve were going to sin. That Adam, when he sinned, that this would usher in death and sin into all of mankind's existence. And yet, what does God do? God still says, you're going. And Jesus Christ says, your will, not mine. Romans chapter 3, verse 10, there is none righteous. Not even one. Sorry, I didn't tell you what verses did I. Romans chapter 3. Verses 10, and we're going to go to 18. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understand, none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongue they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That is who we are without Christ. That is humanity without Christ. That is every one of us. None are righteous. None live up to God's righteous standard, his right living. Nobody understands. No doubt pointing to truth. Here's one that might be hard to swallow. No one seeks for God. Oh, come on, Pastor Jason. I've heard your stories about tribal guys coming and handing you letters and saying, please, please send us a missionary. You know why? Because of all this that you get with the missionaries. You get fishing hooks. You get batteries. You get lights. You get rice. You get salt. No, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. None who does good. Not even one. Then he gets even a little bit more descriptive as to what their mouths and their speech is like. Their throat's an open grave. It's just death. It comes out of their mouths. It's terrible. Their tongues, it's all about deceiving. There's poison in their lips. It's full of, their, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. And their feet, what do they do? They, they lead them to shed blood, to murder people. In the path of peace, they have no idea what that is. And finally, there's no fear of God before their eyes. So even if they did know that God exists through creation, what do they do? They just stiff arm him. And they say, what's he going to do to me? And I think if you are honest and look at yourself, you see yourself in these verses. 
I think if we look at our country, you see what happened even during COVID with all the craziness and mayhem happening at malls and, and everything else, right? What, what, what did you see continually over and over again? Romans 3, right? You, you saw people doing what they wanted to do above anything else. And that their desire continually was what? More and more and more. And if we looked at biblical history, even the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, who God gave them what? His very word and his very presence and prophet after prophet and judge and kings and all sorts of other instruments, tools used by him for his glory that would speak the truth. And okay, there were many kings that didn't, but there were many prophets who did. And what do you see throughout most of the history of the nation of Israel? Rebellion, idolatry, turning the other way continually over and over again. And it doesn't just stop there. Then you, you think about someone like Jonah and what, what his heartbeat was for wasn't to reach other nations. He was only concerned with his own nation. Think about that as the backdrop for verse 17, John chapter 3 as to why Jesus Christ came. You know, he could have come to condemn. He could have come to just let everyone know you are worthless, vile sinners. You are rebellious. And at times he said harsh things to the Pharisees who were supposed to be the teachers. But what we see in in, in John 3.17 should blow our minds. Why? Because he knows all of this. And yet he loves us so much that he gives Jesus and he sends Jesus for a particular task and it is not to condemn us. And it is not to stand up as judge and tell us all that we are destined for hell and eternal separation from God. Instead, he comes to what? To offer salvation. That the world might be saved through him. That doesn't mean that the entire world will be saved through him. Again, it's conditioned on what you do with the Lord Jesus Christ. You must believe in him. You see, the bottom line is this. Man is, was already condemned in sin. We didn't need God being made in the likeness of man to show us our sinfulness and remind us that we deserve to die. What we needed was a Savior. And that is who God sent, his own son, because of his great love for us, often in spite of us. You see, that the, the world is, is, is wrecked. He, he came not into a neutral world. I think at times we get mixed up and we think that's the case, that Jesus came and for it. Well, because there's some that are seeking him. And there's some that are, that are more, no, Pastor Jason, they're good. They, they really are good. And they really mean well. And, and that's who Jesus came. But man, there's others. They're the Hitlers of the world. Oh man, no, no, no. The, they deserve what they're going to get. But not these. No, that, that isn't what Scripture teaches. You see, the, the, the world isn't neutral. The world is wrecked. It's a lost world. It's a sinful world. 
And, and we all deserve eternal torment. But by God's wonderful grace, Jesus comes not to condemn. Jesus comes to save. Man, and, and is there any better message for us to proclaim? Just as God provided this remedy through Moses and this bronze snake that had to be held up and you had to look at it, what was Jesus? He was held up on a cross. To be the picture, per- the perfect picture of what love looks like on display for someone giving up their life for us. And no one else could give up their life and be the perfect substitute and take our place as Jesus Christ did. You see, he didn't have to come to, or he didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. All those that would believe in him. And notice how far this promise of eternal life extends through Jesus. It doesn't say, for God so loved the nation of Israel, the world. We see it again in verse 17. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world. That is God's heartbeat. That all of mankind would indeed be saved. That doesn't mean that all will be saved, but that God will in his goodness and in his own sovereign will, that he, through the Lord Jesus Christ and his plan of redemption, gather together a people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people group. And they will be part of God's people, his family, his church. And there's only one way that someone can become part of God's family. Turn with me to Acts. We've seen this before, Acts chapter 4. Peter does such a masterful job in this sermon explaining exactly what John chapter 3 is talking about. The exclusiveness of Jesus Christ. And his claim that he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. That either you accept the light or you reject the light. And the only way for you to enter into the kingdom of God and to enjoy eternal life is if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4. Let's pick it up in verse 8. As Peter is put in prison jail and the priests and the Sadducees and the temple guard now call him to to speak. Verse 7, when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. 
No other name under heaven by which you can be saved, by which I can be saved. All of our eternity hinges on that, on him, and what we do with Jesus Christ, and whether you believe that he is your Savior. That's the criteria laid so clearly out for salvation. And what we see in verse 18, as we see following the promise of belief, this idea, the need to believe, that you and I must believe in order for us to what? Not to be judged. Not to incur the wrath of God. How do you get the wrath of God from being poured out upon you? You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then he takes the wrath of God in your place in the greatest exchange ever. Where the punishment for your sin is placed upon him, and he takes all of that punishment. The punishment for your past sins, your present sins, the sins that you haven't committed, but you will, and so will I. And he takes them all. And in the greatest exchange ever, he takes that punishment, that sin upon himself, and what does he give you? He gives you his very righteousness that you might enjoy eternal life. That is why we have this, the need to believe. For there is salvation in no other. That's why it goes on in verse 18 and says, he who believes in him is not judged. That should be cause for rejoicing for us all. Because even though Jesus didn't come to condemn or to judge, that does not mean that there will not be condemnation. That does not mean that there will not be judgment. There is. But what this is speaking of is his first coming. God will not let the sins of all time go unpunished forever. There is a reckoning coming. And that reckoning will happen by the Lord Jesus Christ. But he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So only those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ will escape judgment and the wrath being poured out on them for all of eternity. All who have ever walked this planet or have ever walked this earth need to believe and understand that there is a judgment coming and that God being the just judge that he is, he will not let anyone go unpunished that should be punished. And it's why it's such good news for us to see that Jesus didn't come to condemn the world because the world was already condemned, going back to Adam. But there's also this aspect, and we see it in verse 19, that the very coming of the Lord Jesus Christ adds this accountability, adds this light, adds this revelation. His coming does what? It exposes the darkness. And darkness oftentimes, for sure here, is pictured as sin. That's what was happening with the rebellion back in the days of of Moses. 
His coming exposes the darkness and the sin that we all live in. Why? Because that's what light does. We'd have people come visit us when we lived in Papua New Guinea. And we'd always tell them, hey, take a flashlight with you to bed. Because when we turn off these 12-volt fluorescent lights, it's going to be pitch black. I'm talking you're not going to be able to see your hand in front of your face no matter how close you put it. So you will need a flashlight. Inevitably, we didn't tell them this part because this was always kind of fun to listen. Inevitably, they get up to go to the bathroom. And when they turned on that flashlight and shined it on the ground, you know what they would see? A million cockroaches just going every which way. Hey, if you don't know they're there, they don't bother you. And so you'd hear kind of like little screams and ee, ee, ee from the cockroaches and they'd all scurry away. Where would they go? They'd go back into the darkness. That, that, that's what this is teaching us. See, what Jesus does, just by him coming, he exposes sin for what sin is. He, he lets everyone know, man, those cockroaches of sin, they're there. You just don't know they're there. But now when you see me, oh, yes, you know what sin is. And what becomes oh so clear is that is the sin that you love. And you're just like those cockroaches, and you're going to do whatever you can to, to go hide underneath this or underneath that or, or inside this particular person's clothing so when they wear it the next day, they find it, and they're moving on. That, that's, that's what Jesus is being depicted as. It's what he's already been depicted as. The light. That the light has come into the world. Not a light, the light. As he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the light. But what happens is we love the darkness. Do you know that word love is the, the same word that's used in John three sixteen For God so loved, agape the world. What do they do? They agape the darkness. That means above anything else that this is what you are all about. So all you eat, breathe, live, and die about thinking is darkness. This is what I want. This is what I will do. Anything that I have to do in order to keep this. And this is what happens with sin in our lives. And for some, this is what keeps them away from the gospel. But notice that that, that sinful thoughts, it ends up somewhere. It comes out into what? Into their deeds. For their deeds were evil. And then we see in 20, he goes on, for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. For everyone who does evil. Do you know what this word evil means? Write this down. It means worthless. That's what their lives are. They think that living in the darkness is good for them. They think that living in this darkness is, is really what gives them meaning in life, a sense of fulfillment. But really what it is, it is utter worthless. Why? Because anything outside of Christ is a meaningless life. Just ask Hollywood. 
Just ask professional athletes. They have more money than they know what to do with, but they are what? Oftentimes miserable, looking for the next thing that will make their life better and have more meaning. And here what we see is Jesus Christ is the one that will give our lives true meaning. Notice the the metaphor of coming to the light being trusting in Jesus, believing in him. That is what is being presented to us. And that either you come to the light or you reject the light and you run back to the darkness. But you you just don't sit in the darkness. You work in the darkness. You do deeds in the darkness that expose exactly who you are. So what does light do? Light illuminates. That's what Jesus Christ does. And everyone that doesn't accept the light, notice how they are depicted. They hate the light. They love the darkness. Jesus is the perfect revelation of God. And what we should see him as is that beautiful, loving Messiah, Savior. But I also want us to recognize that we shouldn't be too surprised when people respond to us sharing the gospel with them in such a way that they might be antagonistic, they might be mad, they might be truly upset. They might not want anything that you have to offer them. Why? Because it's exactly what we see in verses 19 to 20. They love the life that they're in. They love the darkness. That's Moai. No matter how many times I talk to him, Sabien, our our sorcerer in, in the village as well. No, they love the darkness. They're like the cockroaches that just want to stay in the dark. And even if a little light is exposed on them, then they run to someplace else where it's dark so they don't have to hear this anymore. So don't be surprised when someone doesn't like you because you love Jesus. Recognize that their response is more the norm. And that your response, and listen to this, this is why this is so sweet, especially as we wrap up with verse 21. Your response that you love Jesus, that he's beautiful to you, that's not the norm. That's God's done something in your heart and in your life to open your eyes to see what hardly anybody else can see. And that's what we see in the last verse. But he who practices the truth, what does he do? Comes to the light. The complete opposite of those who hate the light and run back into the darkness so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. That that in this, there's this sweet humility. Why? Because those of us who now love the light and want to come into the light, we recognize that it's not because of anything that we can claim in ourselves. It, It isn't because I'm so great and they're so not. It's because he's so great and he's changed me. And so now, what I used to live for and the darkness that I loved, I no longer love that at all. 
And it's all because of him and his power in me and his work in me, accomplishing what he has set out for me. So these verses, they, they focus on this distinction between those in verses 19 and 20 that, that reject the conviction that reject the revelation and the exposure of sin that Jesus brings, that the gospel brings. And that's held in complete contrast with with those who delight in the added light that Jesus brings. One follows after darkness because his deeds are evil, and the other follows Jesus, not because all of his deeds are righteous or because he's perfect, anything but that, but because he knows any deeds that he does which are pleasing to his God, that those are deeds done only in the power of God. And by God's wonderful grace, now Jesus Christ is precious to them. I stumbled upon this illustration, and I'm probably not the the right guy to be saying this because, to be honest, I'm a guy that goes to a museum or an art gallery, and and I look at all of the pictures and... And if I'm there longer than an hour, I'm probably there too long for me. It's just not something that I'm totally excited about. Even if you were going to have Michelangelo, all these different famous artists. But I do recognize that they are spectacular artists. And that that piece before me is wonderful. But what if somebody went to such a an art gallery. And the tour guide took, took them all around. And they spent hours going from every masterpiece then to the next masterpiece to the next masterpiece. If you could put them all in the same room. And at the end of the tour, the visitor said this, well, you know what? I don't think much of all your old pictures here and your old statues. This is what the attendant would respond he'd say sir i would remind you that these pictures are no longer on trial but those who look at them are you see all that the man's reaction had done was to show how blind he was to true art and in so many cases that is what happens with the lord jesus christ that when some people are confronted with Jesus, their souls respond with wonder and the beauty of Jesus. And they say, yes, 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 I love that light and I want to stay in that light and I want to dedicate my life to walking in that light. But others respond when they're confronted with Jesus and they say, he is not lovely. He is not beautiful. I want nothing to do with him. their condemnation will be well-deserved because they have rejected the ultimate beauty. These verses leave us with a question. What will you do with Jesus? You only have two options. Either you believe in him and then you gain eternal life and then you follow him into the light or you reject him. And you keep following yourself into the darkness like the cockroaches, ultimately leading you into the place where you will one day be judged and condemned. And that will be a place of eternal torment instead of a place of eternal joy. The question is, what have you done with Jesus? 
What have I done with Jesus? If you have questions about Jesus and about your relationship with him, please come and talk to one of us pastors, one of the elders. If you have never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, I plead with you this morning that you would do just that. You don't know what tomorrow holds. Moai didn't know that he was going to die when he went to his wife's village. You don't know what's going to happen to you the rest of this day. Let me close us with this point to ponder. Consider how in verse 21 we see that those who practice the truth come to the light and risk having their sin exposed. Is your desire to have roots, to have roots of sin exposed? Do you want to see the the things that you are continuing to struggle with done and exposed that the Lord Jesus Christ might help you walk on to what he has next for you? Thank the Lord for his light and ask the Lord to root out sin in your life this week and reveal to you more areas to follow him into his light. Amen? All right, let me pray for us as Pastor Shane and Brad and Joyce come up. Jared. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are so good. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came not to condemn but to save. And that as has already been said of all the people on the earth, we are so blessed, those of us who know you. Thank you for coming, Lord Jesus. For suffering, for bleeding on our behalf. Taking the sin that you didn't deserve upon yourself, the very wrath of God, as much as we can't understand it, we thank you for your work upon the cross. We pray that as we enter into the Christmas season that we would keep our minds and our focus upon you and what a blessing you are to us and to this world and may you use us to be your lights, Lord, in this dark world. In Jesus' name, amen.